Hey y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 68 and it is week one of college football 2019. I cannot wait. I have a packed week ahead. I begin the week in Nashville, Tennessee, Thursday through Saturday. I will be in Music City for Vanderbilt hosting Georgia. Get to see Jake Fromm and the boys uh, first week out and how they will respond to yet another setback to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, I expect so much out of Georgia this season. I think their offensive front is just unbelievably talented. And Fromm just has a, a factor about him, a leadership factor and a moxie that you just don't see very often. So I can't wait to see how they perform. Did you tell Jake that you'll be officiating the game, or does he know that you're there? Uh, Jake, Jake does not know that I'm going to be there. I might just have to request of the center judge to borrow his or her outfit so that I might be able to spot the ball. Uh, my form is impeccable. I know I have a future uh, as a as a center judge in major collegiate football, and Jake, I'm sure will be. My number one, my number one cheerleader in that capacity. There's one reason you, I don't think you could ever be an official though, is they wear hats. And while you do wear hats from time to time, when you're out in public, that hair has got to be your centerpiece. Full plumage. Yeah. Agree. And yeah, you can't wear a hat then. I mean, old Jake was funny. He said, man, we really like your, really like your work, man. It's so fun to watch and, uh, make sure you, keep your day job because you're the referee i've ever seen and we shared a great laugh about that and yes it did look like i was uh taking a dump when i was spotting the ball that happens to the best of us in fact it was so i was so bad at it that i had the ball pointed the wrong direction and i got confused too because one center wanted the the, the laces on one side and the other center wanted the laces on the other side because one was right-handed and one was left-handed, I guess. Hell, I don't know. It was really confusing, and I still have great anxiety every time I think about it. Uh, Travis, thanks for bringing that up at 7.02 in the morning on a Tuesday. Sorry. Uh, so anyway, I look forward to seeing the dogs and, and the doors get after it. I actually think it's going to be a good game. I really can't wait to get to Nashville. I can't wait to get this season kicked off. Uh, from Nashville, uh, Saturday, I will – Make my way to Norman, Oklahoma to see my boy Jalen Hurts take on Houston in his opener for, in his debut for the Oklahoma Sooners at quarterback. Of course, Lincoln Riley has produced two consecutive Heisman Trophy winners who also happened to be number one overall picks in the NFL draft in Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. So they have a decent they have a decent track record of transfer quarterbacks coming in. Of course, Baker Mayfield came in from Texas Tech to Oklahoma. Kyler Murray came in from Texas A&M to Oklahoma, and both of them had historic seasons uh, when they won the Heisman Trophy. We'll see what Jalen can do. I have extremely high expectations for him, and he kicks that off on Sunday night in Norman against the Houston Cougars. And then from there... I will get on an airplane the first thing Monday morning uh, at Oklahoma City, and I will make my way to Louisville, Kentucky, where the Notre Dame Fighting Irish will take on the Louisville Cardinals on Monday night, Labor Day night in Louisville. And we're doing that. Uh, I think McGee actually announced this on Saturday. I was not on Marty and McGee on Saturday. We had a wedding in La Jolla, California. It was stunningly beautiful. Laney's cousin Tim and his gorgeous, amazing new bride, Rosario, uh, had a tremendous ceremony. We had a blast. Laney's whole family went out there, and that's a lot of people. What and, is what is Marty like at a wedding reception? Um, On Saturday evening... I am normally, more often than not, I am completely off the hinges. Saturday evening, I was extremely composed yeah, because I texted you and you were like, you know, you were well kept. I was. I had it. I had it all. I had. I, I didn't even remove any any clothing items or anything. I was so well put together. The reason is I was looking ahead, man. When, when you 
when you when you're when you're partying on a Saturday evening on the West Coast, and you know you have a flight back to the East Coast the next day, and you know that your week is what my week was to be is to be, I guess is is the proper way to say it. Then you make sure that you have your your stuff together. Uh, starting, in fact, this afternoon, I'm hosting College Football Live this afternoon with Spears, Pollock, and Galloway, and it's an hour-long show live, and so you just want to make sure that you're buttoned up, man, and uh, that's why I took the approach that I took. Uh, don't don't get me wrong, we drank them out of Jack, but uh, I had it, I had it. I had it strapped up tight. If you was, if you I were right. getting after it, what's that one song that Marty Smith is on the dance floor for? Well, th- there's a vast array. Uh, there's a cornucopia of of tunes that get me going, and they played a lot of those. Those wedding DJs, man, they know the score. They know the score. Now, what impresses me about the wedding DJ is how do they weave through the different eras to make sure that Everyone remains engaged like a 78, 79 year old dude is out there and sweet Caroline's playing. He's getting down, right? But then all of a sudden, like, yeah, by Usher comes on right after that. And for some reason, said 79 year old dude stays out there and he's pumping his fist in the air because he trusted the DJ is going to come back to him. I guess and hit him with I mean, that, that a, song. It, uh, I guess that's what might be what makes a good DJ. I don't know. What makes a good DJ? I guess good songs. You have to understand the the songs that won't get people to leave the dance floor. Like the the old songs that used to be hits, you gotta understand when they're no longer a hit for a wedding. I like wedding receptions are the one one of the things that like I live for. Yeah, they're fun. I haven't had one in over a year and I don't my next one's not till December, which is very disappointing. But they What's Travis like at a wedding reception? Oh, Travis is uh, Train derailment? Oh, he's off the rails. Yeah. Uh Lately, a couple of weddings, I've even said I knew they were going to be kind of a uh, little low key on the uh, tire. So I go, no tie. Just let's just skip that because the tie's coming off at the reception, anyways. Yep, yep. So it's like let's just let's just get that moving. And once I'm on the dance floor, I'm 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 like a, a staple there. I don't leave. Most of the time, the the vast majority of wedding receptions. I I don't know. Lane, uh, Lane and I were discussing this the other night. My guess is we've probably been to between thirty and forty weddings. That's a ton of weddings. Like that's a lot of weddings to attend. And the vast majority of them, I don't have a jacket on for sure. My shirt is untucked most of the time. And at least a couple of buttons have made their way toward the Southern hemisphere. Yeah. I don't, the jacket is gone once yeah. I'm on the dance floor. I had mine on all night, dude. Question. Have you ever been wearing a vest and the shirt got taken off and the vest was put back on so you're rocking just a vest like you're aladdin uh no i don't think so but that would be impressive especially if you have like the meat sauce hair chest hair going i may have done that at one i believe it that why does this not surprise me i am i am as shocked right now as the fact that the sun came up outside of my window this morning i don't want to call out people with weddings but you have it and make it an open bar please do not go oh bar on me that's vital uh the open bar the open bar is vital. That is that is a necessary. I had a relative that will remain unnamed, and it was a cash bar, and the wedding reception was not a hit. And you've not forgiven this person? No. You I, wrote them out of the will? Well, there's not much in the will, but yeah, they're not in there. I understood. Um. Anyway, so I'll be in uh, I'll be in Louisville on Monday night, and I will be in the Goodyear Blimp along will, with McGee. Will you? Yeah, we think so. Uh, that's the plan. I think this is the third different time we've made an attempt to, to pull this off, and we have yet to do it. But Goodyear is really excited, and we are very excited, and ESPN is very excited that the Marty and McGee redneck extravaganza will be hovering high above the stadium and the where the Irish and the Cardinals will be squaring off against one another on Labor Day evening. And – I don't really know what to expect. I expect that McGee and I are going to be in the, in the blimp for six, eight hours or something like that. And I don't really know. I don't really know what to expect. I don't think I can bring a six pack with me. I don't think, I don't think ESPN is going to let me have cold beers while I'm trying to do a blimp cast. Unfortunately. Oh, that's unfortunate. I know. Uh, maybe if I got a sponsorship, then they would allow it. 
Do you want me to call Tito's? So, do you want me to call Tito's? Uh, maybe. Or yeah. uh, Lexington Brewing Company. Do you want me to call them? Well, that's right down the street. I'll call them and say, hey. Yeah. So we'll be up there, and who knows what we'll be do- doing for those eight hours. I mean, it's it's Marty and McGee, so is, it'll be off the hinges. Is Cooter coming with you? We'll probably bring Cooter. I'll probably try to stash him away in, uh, in my carry-on. And My other and question see- for you is, you don't do well with, like, open-air heights kind of deal, like Ferris wheel, stuff like that. Mm-mm. What about this? I've been in the blimp a couple times. I did a live shot before the NASCAR season finale one year in Miami, Florida, hovering over top of the Homestead Miami Speedway. And that went okay because there's windows in it. It's kind of like an airplane or a helicopter. Uh, I think I'll be fine. I'm, uh, I just don't, I don't know what we're going to talk about that whole time. But I guess because it's McGee and me, we figure out a way. Um, you guys have done two hour shows on Saturday mornings and I don't think we've bosses turn away ever planned out what you're going to talk about. So I think that's going to be an extension of that. It would be great if they could take calls, but I don't know if they can do that. We will not be preparing for whatever we say at the blimp cast. Yeah. So I think you're going to be fine. It's just going to be a longer talk. I mean, you guys did a mega cast last year sitting by the field and it started to rain and it became a hit. So. You know, same thing with the length. We had of so much fun doing that. I mean, we had, we, we, I think spoke live on a camera on a simulcast camera for four straight hours. And at one point it started raining and we put the ponchos on and we looked like the two wise men. And then I tore the skin off my forehead because I had electrical tape wrapped around my forehead to keep the poncho out of my eyes. Wow. Um, yeah, wow. We're, it's going to be interesting to see how the blimp cast unfolds. But alas, that's what we're going to do. We appreciate Goodyear being interested in it, and we're going to have fun and laugh a hell of a lot. Know that much. And maybe we'll talk a little bit of ball. I wouldn't. Uh, I, I don't know if I would expect that. I don't know if that should be something that you guys are 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 tuning in for. But I covered Notre Dame a lot last year. I had them in the college football playoff. I had them against Syracuse in the Shamrock Series. I had them against Michigan to open the season at home. So I covered me a lot of Notre Dame football last year. So I might be able to pull a couple of those stories out. We'll see. This week before week zero, uh, I went down to Gainesville, Florida. And I had the great opportunity to spend a morning with Florida's quarterback, Felipe Franks. And I was so impressed with him during our conversation. He has been such a unique case because as I said to him, to me, he's one of those, he's one of those college athletes that I feel like has been in school for 12, 15 years. Cause we've heard about him since he came in. He was very highly recruited and has unbelievable physical gifts. He can throw it a mile and his body is huge, huge, big body guy. And I couldn't believe how vulnerable he was when I chatted with him. But that game, that was an ugly, ugly football game. And you can, you can chalk it up to the season being moved up a week. You can chalk it up to being the first game of the season you can chalk it up to a rivalry and all the emotion and the fever pitch that comes with that. But it was just bad. It was just not not very good football. I think that the Hurricanes had 14 penalties, more than 100 yards in penalties. And I think Florida had eight or nine penalties, and it was almost for 100 yards. I mean, they had Here. two at the end of this. To almost blow the game on those dumb pass interference calls. It, it just, some of the decisions that were made, um, were, you just, you just look at the game and go, wow, man, that one was, that was rough. Jaron Williams, the freshman quarterback for Miami, uh, goes 19 of 30 for 220, couple touchdowns. And DJ Dallas had a really good game at, at running back for the for the Canes, I think he had 12 rushes for more than 100 yards. But they could not stop a nosebleed. 
Florida had 10 sacks. 10! 10! And they almost had one to to close out the game. Can you imagine starting two true freshmen on your offensive line? I know, man. Against that defense? And and they almost, they gave up 10 sacks and still almost won the game. And you, you, wow. And, and look, and Florida's defense is really good. So it was just, it was an ugly game. And you, you, you look at how Franks performed and he, he had some great plays in that game, but he has some real bad ones too. Ends up going 17 of 27 for 254, two score, two touchdowns and two interceptions. I don't know, bud. I will tell you that it's, it's so interesting to me the, the, the evolution that this young man is making and how polarizing he seems to be in the college football world. I had some people ask me last night, in fact, some of my neighbors asked me last night. They were like, I saw your interview with Felipe Franks on college game day and then I saw his actions during the game and they didn't seem to match up. And as I watched how emotional he was, uh, and the trash talking and whatnot, I think that the emotion got to him and the, I, the way that, that you ultimately break this down is they won the game. And if you, there's so many times in in great seasons where if you look at – you forget the fact that, like, we, we look at Clemson as the kings of the college football world, and they are, and there's a reason. They are winning national championships. They are in the college football playoff every year, but people forget how close they were to losing to NC State a couple years ago, how close they were to losing to Syracuse – a couple years ago. They lost to Pitt at home with Deshaun Watson a couple years ago. So escaping, like, I, I don't, I'm not sitting here trying to make excuses for the way Florida played because it was really ugly at times, but they won against a team that's going to be really damn good. I see so much potential in Miami. And it's funny, Travis, I was watching College Football Live on Monday with my man Matt Schick hosting and he had, he had Greg McElroy and, and Mike Golick Jr. and Dusty Dvorak as his panel. And it was so funny because everybody's killing Florida and everybody's saying, man, Miami looks pretty good. Well, Florida won the game. Miami does have, you can just see it. Like all the potential's there. They're young. Quarterback starting for the first time. I just see so much potential for them. There's a lot of upside. Jared Williams, there's a lot of great things that you could take out of that game from him and his performance going forward. Oh, no, there's no question. And it's his first start. I just, uh, it's just funny to me. Ultimately, Florida won the game. And that was as I watched Dan Mullen chat with Maria Taylor after the game when you, when you, that that was the look on his face for me. The look on his face for me was, we got out of here. Thank God we got out of here. We have a W in the the result column. Thank God because you're talking about if they lose that game, think about the difference in the narrative. The difference in the narrative is dramatic because if they they won the game, okay, if they. Yeah, they were ugly. Yeah, they have a lot of things to clean up. Yeah, the emotion got to them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They won. If there was all of those things and they lost, mm, that's a whole different scenario. I mean, they dropped in the AP poll with the win because people were doubting them anyways. The drop they would have had if they lost. Right. It just shows you that it was not the prettiest performance of all time. But again, they won. And they won behind Felipe Franks. And I wanted you guys to hear this conversation. One reason that I love having the Marty Smith America podcast platform is we can take these interviews that we do for TV, that we put four minutes on television, and the interview was 25. 
and it's you really learn about these folks that I'm interviewing. And this young man, I just couldn't have been more impressed. I could not have been more impressed spending time with him about his thoughts of evolving from self-absorbed and self-centered more towards selfless and learning how to be a leader. He still has steps to take. We saw it on Saturday night. But I really appreciated his candor in this interview. And before we get to Felipe, I want to remind you guys that hiring can be very challenging. But there's one place you can go where hiring is, in fact, simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there, Travis. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications pour in, ZipRecruiter analyzes every single one, spotlights the top candidates, and that way you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is in fact so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the very first day. And right now, right now, you guys can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash M-A-R-T-Y. ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. As I said, I can't wait for y'all to hear what this young man has to say. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Very few people, especially dudes in this world, are willing to make themselves this vulnerable and admit their shortcomings so openly, and I appreciated the fact that Felipe Franks was this honest. Here's my interview with Florida Gators quarterback, Felipe Franks, who at the time was eyeing week zero against the Miami Hurricanes and who is currently 1-0. and How would you define your tenure at Florida? Um, since I've been here, it's, uh, it's been, you know, a rocky ride, but, um, I think in the end it'll be, it'll be definitely worth it for me personally on and off the field as a person, so. In what ways has it been rocky for you? Just through the ups and downs. I mean, not everything has gone um, the way I planned it to go. But, you know, I wouldn't trade that for the world because it's made me who I am today as a person, um, as a teammate, and uh, more importantly, as a family member to my brother and my mom and dad. So, What were some of the more challenging things that you've experienced? Yeah, just, um, you know, you go through times, I mean, where people, you know, don't like you or they do like you or, you know, you're not pleasing everybody or playing up to somebody's standard. Um, just learning to, you know, kind of throw that out the window and, you know, know who you are as a person. You know, there's nobody really to please and um, except for, you know, yourself and, and the man above. So that's kind of how I approach life. Love it. Coach Mullen said something there in SEC media days that I found to be so interesting about you. That was when you focused on your craft mm. and you stopped listening to all that outside mess, a light went on for mm. you as a player. What's your perspective on that? I totally agree. The fact that, you know, when I started listening, like you said, when I stopped listening to the outside noise, you know, you, you have a bad play here, you have a bad play there, and you start stop listening to that, you know, you start to, you know, become a better – a better. I started to see me become a better player, a better person um, on the field, you know, especially because I owe it to my teammates to go out there and perform every Saturday. So I owe it to them. And, and when I started, you know, that started to click for me, a light bulb came on, and I started to perform better, execute better. What was the impact – on you emotionally of that outside noise? It definitely uh, wasn't fine. Um, it impacted me, I think, in many different ways, good and bad. But I think um, the way it came out in a good, positive way is it made me a better teammate, better player, better um, person, and and just be able to approach the game in a different way and being able to prepare better and approach the game better. And just, it just totally made me a better, better person, better player. For me, when the outside noise reached its fever pitch was – in Missouri, the Missouri game, mm. right here where we're sitting one year ago. Mm. What do you remember about that day? Uh, it wasn't fun, um, and that's never fun losing. You know, we don't go out to practice week, week in and week out and grind, and to come out here and lose on Saturdays is not fun to come out here and lose because um, you got 90,000 fans out there depending on you to come out here on Saturdays and win. And uh, it's not fun. You know, we, we had a, a off day, which you can't have here in the SEC, and 
Um, you know, Missouri had a good team, good coach, good quarterback, you know, that put it on us. And I think that was a turning point for us, for our team, not only for me to, you know, learn how to approach, uh, approach a week for a game better. And, um, I think it ultimately helped us, you know, taking that loss against Missouri. When you heard the crowd reaction to the way you were playing, mm-hmm. how did that affect you emotionally? It's not fun. You know, you're supposed to have 90,000 up there cheering for you, not against you. Um, and that's either, you know, you're going to motivate your, your team that you're cheering for or you're not. And, um, I, like I said, I've learned to just block that out. You know, whether you're cheering for me or not, it doesn't matter. I go out there and, uh, and I play to win. I'm a competitor. I play for my brothers that I go and grind with week in and week out during the season. And, um, I think that's what ultimately matters to me. Felipe, one of my personal biggest insecurities is I like to be liked. It's just how I'm wired. Mm-hmm. And I hate that I'm that way, but I am. Mm-hmm. So I personally can't imagine experiencing what you experienced here when those boos are coming down. Yeah, yeah. What was it like when you went home and you were by yourself and you're looking in the mirror at yourself and that's the day that you had? Yeah, it's uh, it's like I said, it's not fun. I mean, you, you, you go out here, like I said, week in and week out to grind to come and get a win. And when you don't, and when you hear those boos and you all this other stuff, um, you know, it, it's heartbreaking because I'm the same way as you. You know, I like to be liked, but um, I kind of threw that out the window. I'm not, I know what kind of person I am. I know my morals, my priorities in life. And uh, at the end of the day, I'm an ultimate competitor. I love to win, hate to lose. And um, when I went back home, you know, it wasn't it wasn't as fun, you know, either. Just like it was, it wasn't fun here either. So, um, but, you know, it's, it's totally opposite when you're winning. So that's just kind of what comes with it you know, when you're playing college football, so. And after that time, basically all you did was win. You mm. guys won a lot of games last year. Mm. What do you think you showed everyone with the way you played after that episode? Uh, I think I've been always a big believer in just perseverance, um, persistence. I mean, just you, I see a goal in my head, um, and that's to win a national championship. And, you know, some say it's out of reach, some say it's not. But when it happens, you know, everybody's going to be right there on the bandwagon. So, <laughs> Um, it's just it's just the way I think the world works. I mean, I, like I said, I'm just ultimate competitor. I love to win, and losing is not fun. And just like Coach Mullen says, you know, we don't prepare to lose. I mean, losing is not fun at all. I hate to lose. So um, just getting a win and working to get a win week in and week out, I think is what's most important. When you ask around the country to analysts who know your position very well mm-hmm. about the most gifted players at your position, invariably your name comes up. Obviously, you have the size. Mm-hmm. You have the – Intelligence. You have the arm strength. All of those intangibles and and attributes. What do you believe is your potential at the quarterback position? I think the sky's the limit for me. Good thing about it, like I said, is I'm glad that you know I went through all those ups and downs because um, it ultimately made me who I am now um, as a person that is is always open to uh, you know constructive criticism and always open to somebody who's trying to help me, whether it be in football or in life. But most importantly, football, I'm always open to Coach Mullen, Coach Johnson, helping me out, becoming a better player. And I think that, you know, you can never get complacent when you're playing this position. You can never, I'm, I'm too good or I'm, I'm good enough, I'm, I'm okay. Um, you can never be like that at this position. There's always room to learn, always room to become a better leader, better player, better teammate. And I think that's what's most important that changed my mindset um, as I approach the game is just always being able to try to learn more and more. How close are you to that potential? I don't know. I feel like it's still far away away. I mean, I feel like I'm I'm, I'm doing good right now, but I, I want to be I want to be great, and I want to be you know I want to leave a stamp here at Florida, leave a legacy, and um, you know I, I think that I can do that, and I think it just comes with more just consistency, um, and everything that I do, not just football. I like how you say you're open now to other people's suggestions or criticisms or whatnot. Mm-hmm. When did that light turn on? Midway through last season, I would say, you know, because I, I never, I've never been the type of person to, to, to think I know everything. Um, but I have been always, you know, the kind of person that's like, oh man, like I know I messed up. You know, coach comes to tell me I messed up, but I already know I messed up. <laughs> and, um, I've always been the kind of person that's like, oh, okay, I don't want to hear that right now. But just being that person, like, okay, like, what do you have to say? Like, you know, what do you have to say? Like, coach me up, you know, teach me and, and just being like a sponge and soaking up all the information I can. And I think that's what's the most important that's helped me out as a player, just I would say halfway through last season. Why'd you delete your social media accounts last year? doesn't matter what other people think about me. Uh, you know, I am who I am. If you like me, you like me. If you don't, you don't. Uh, it's just kind of how and I, my mind's wired now. And, you know, I, I, I play to, you know, please the man above. A uh, big believer in him and, and the way he operates. And uh, I think that's what's the most important, you know, keeping a, keeping a platform and a base on the, why I do the things that I do. Sounds to me like, and this is an inference, mm. 
Sounds to me like you're living free mm. for the first time. Mm. Free of, of any minutia. You yeah. kind of have, it sounds to me like a much more direct philosophy on your path and how you want to get to it. Mm-hmm. How accurate? I think you're pretty accurate, yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, I see one vision, one goal, and that's to, you know, play at the next level and be the greatest quarterback that I can be and um, reach my full potential. And um, I won't stop until that happens, you know. And like I said, love to win, and that starts with winning and, you know, being the greatest player that I can be every day, you know, to reach that ultimate potential and to be the best teammate I can be. And it starts there with that platform. It just works its way up. And like you said, I have a narrow uh, path, vision, and um, I can't let anything get in the way of that vision. So, From your perspective, what do you think you and your teammates' potential is in 2019? I think this, the sky's the limit. Um, you know, we have great receivers, offensively great receivers all across the board, great depth. Um, got a, a young offensive line that, that loves to work, you know, have one of the greatest offensive line coaches in the country with Coach Hevesy. Um And just the running backs, tight ends, everybody, you know, defensively, you know, we're always, you know, I think going to be known as DBU and and just always have a great defense every year produces. And I think we're a really special team, you know, a team that really bonds together. I haven't been part of a team that's been more close than this team is now. And um, I think that's something special. I think it's going to help us, you know, win a lot of games this year. You noted that the adversity that you faced last year made you a more understanding teammate and friend. Mm -hmm. In what ways? Did it do that? Yeah, I think that it just it helped me become the ultimate teammate, ultimate leader, to be able to um, see other players' perspectives on how they approach the game and, and how much our players really just want to win, and, and winning is the main goal at this university. And um, I think that it just it showed me, you know, with the wins and the losses on, you know, why why am I playing? And, you know, the teammates that I go out there and grind with every day that, you know, they lay their hearts out there on the field for me. You know, I need to do the same for them. I go out there every Saturday and try to do. And um, I think that's what's the most important. You know, you go out there and you play for the teammates that you have, the guys that are playing for you as well. Go out there and make plays for me. And I try to go out there and do the same for them. So I think that's what's the most important um, when you come to go out there and play on Saturdays. So. Think it made you more empathetic or more selfless? Uh, yeah, I think it, I mean, I think it did. You know, the main, I think, uh, trait in a lot of people nowadays is, is selfish. You know, I want to have it and I want to have it now, whatever it is. And, um, just being more selfless and, and being able to, you know, put the team first and before anything that I do, um, team first, winning first before anything that I want to have, anything like a Heisman or a, or best quarterback in the country award. You know, the team comes first before any of those awards and, uh, I think that's what I started to realize. I think that's what's most important. Do you hate to lose more or love to win more? Um, I would definitely say I would. I hate to lose. Winning is fine. Winning is. Um, I feel like it should become a habit. It should become something that you you look forward to every Saturday. But when you lose, it's something that you know stays with me for weeks. You know, and maybe even for years. Um, it's just something that's not fun that it weighs in on my heart and uh, the team as well. You know, we hate to lose. Winning is a tradition at this university. It's something that we expect to have done, win games, and when we lose and we're not meeting the Gator standard, it's something that's not fun um, after a Saturday. So, As we grow and experience and learn, that selflessness comes with it. And as you age even further, you're going you're gonna to realize how much more of that you need. It took me a long time, man. Oh, I yeah. Like thir- I was in my 30s before I realized how damn self-absorbed I was. Yeah. I mean, that's how I was. I mean, all, like, when I first came here, it's, it was all about, like, I used to watch Jameis, and, like, that used to be my favorite quarterback growing up. And I used to always be like, I want to win the Heisman. I want to do this. But, like, you know, you never, in high school, it was always, like, I get all these accolades. I get all this. And I get all, you know, all these accolades, five-star, four-star, whatever it is. And then you get to college, you start all over. But then when I... It was high my whole life, and then um, when I got down to college and I hit the rocky road, I've never been faced with adversity like that before. So it was definitely something that I had to learn how to deal with. And one of the best things that somebody ever told me was like, one of the best things. There's been a bunch of quotes. I'm a big quote guy, but um, one of the best things that somebody ever told me was, you know, wisdom comes through experience, not through age. And people always think that, you know, you're 50 years old. And you think that you're like you're the wisest guy in the book or whatever it is, but you know I feel like wisdom comes through experiences. You know, I, that's just kind of how I've always seen things, and I've never experienced or had anybody to lean on that had the same experiences that I did. Ask them, you know, how they got through it or whatever, and um, that's kind of one of the most important things to me. I kind of 
I mean, I talked to my brother and stuff like that, how I should approach, you don't want to ever point fingers, this or the other, you take all the blame. Um, and this is just the position that you play and, you know, you roll with it and you just work to get better day in and day out. And, uh, it was definitely hard, but yeah, I mean, self, I've always been the, in high school, selfish. I want all these awards. I want this until I got to college and hit that rocky road and, um, learned that, you know, it's not all about that. It's all about, you know, team, team first, team first, team first. And that's why I said that it was just, before the high, before all these other stuff that I want, um, you know, I need to focus on the main, the main task, and that's just the team. So it's kind of the way my view. What it is, it's incumbent upon us to get to that place. Mm. It's incumbent upon us not to be hardened, but to be softened. Yes. And to let that energy in. Mm. It's hard. You've done that. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard to do that too. That's I've never said. Like, I've always been the type of person. I got this. I got this. But that was hard to to let that happen. Let you know, soften up a little bit, and you know, be open and be you know not as selfish as I've always been in high school and want all these stuff. So it was definitely hard for me because I've always been that person that I want this, I want that, I want this. And, and you were talented enough to get it. Yeah, exactly. Until, it just came that way because you're that talented. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, that's why I said I'm glad I wouldn't trade that rocky road that I hit for nothing. Most young people don't have that level of self-awareness, Travis. In fact, most people don't have that level of self-awareness. And Well, you said it, it in the interview that, you know, it took you till a certain point in your, your age, in your 30s, to even start to realize, and he's what, 21, 22? Right. It's, uh, and that's true. It took me a long time to become not only self-aware, but self-confident enough. I... I did not have the self-confidence that I needed. I was posturing for a long time and, and trying to either portray something or trying to, trying to, trying so hard to prove something. And I don't know why. I don't know what it was. Well, we all do it. Yeah. Everybody does it. And most people just don't have the balls to admit it. And. That was one thing about Never Settle, my my new book that has made so many people reach out to me and discuss that it made them consider their own insecurities and their own posturing and that they needed to look in the mirror a little bit. And as I shared that with with Felipe, after our interview, I kind of told him that and I was, I told him, your words are going to impact people. And they are. Like, there's going to be somebody who just listened to that podcast, who's listening to it right now, and who went, damn, man, that young man does have some self-awareness. He has, he has taken great strides towards realizing those insecurities blocking out the outside minutia and the bull that's all over social media that we all consume. And one of the reasons that we consume it is that insecurity. It's this ever growing desire for instant gratification or instant feedback or whatnot. And then when that feedback is not what we had hoped it might be, we let it impact our day. Someone that we don't know, someone we'll never know, someone who might be having a bad day themselves, someone who doesn't like themselves, writes this or that or the other. And we actually let that impact our day. And once Felipe, as Coach Mullen told us, once Felipe blocked out all of that and and truly tried his best not to go seek it, just don't go find it. And focus on your craft because your skill set is unbelievable. His performance improved markedly. I think now, he didn't play. He didn't play too great on Saturday night. He'll be the first to tell you that too. He did not play great on Saturday night. But I think it's something to build on. If they're going to reach their potential as a team, which I consider to be high, I think most people do, because of the athleticism and and. And a, a really good defense, despite their defensive backfield being being compromised a bit by dismissals and by injury. I see a lot of potential for Florida. And again, you could just see it on Coach Mullen's face. From my perspective, 
thank God we got out of here with a win. Yeah, last week was Survive in Advance. They have an off week now because of this game being pushed up. So they have a week to prepare for a much easier game. And now they can kind of take a deep breath and go, all right, we're through this. Because, you know, this has been on their, their mind for since the season ended. And now they can focus. Well, I appreciate Felipe. Uh, I know... I know that, that he's a polarizing figure. He's a polar, certainly a polarizing figure this week. I've heard it from several of our colleagues and I loved what he had to say. Uh, I'm a better man for having heard, heard him and, and fellowshiped with him, especially with that message. So thank you so much to Felipe. That interview was brought to you by ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. You know, another big storyline this week was, Andrew Luck's retirement, and I just, I was sitting at the wedding reception on Saturday, uh, keeping rather, rather focused acknowledgement of the Florida-Miami game on my phone underneath the table, and all of a sudden, I see this alert come across the phone that Andrew Luck is going to retire, that Adam Schefter was reporting that Andrew Luck was going to retire. And the next thing you know, every dude in the reception is walking over to me to ask me what I knew. Well, I don't know. I'm at the same place you guys are. You mean Andrew? I'm not talking to Andrew Luck. Andrew didn't, give you, Andrew didn't give you a heads up? No, Andrew didn't give me a shout out. I'm a little disappointed in him. I am floored by the aftermath of this. First of all, uh, not very many things, not very much news shocks me anymore in the sporting, on the sporting landscape. Most things are okay, man, that's a little bit of a surprise, but I'm not shocked. This shocked me. This was utterly shocking. This is a, this is a, a guy who is a, a world class talent. This is a guy who is, is a great leader who has performed and, and produced tremendously well in his, certainly in, in his collegiate career and, and in his pro career and injury and the attempt to come back from injury stripped the joy from his life, stripped the joy of the game from his life and if you're not having fun anymore and the constant attempts to get to a place where you are comfortable as a player, that is so difficult. And there is a very, very small contingent of men who ever lived who know what he's gone through. There is a very small group of experts and I consider an expert somebody who has had such debilitating injuries that you must miss extended time and rehab your way back to the playing field. There is the smallest group of folks who know what that's about. So anybody who's criticizing Andrew Luck's decision is ignorant about what that entails what it truly entails. And I don't think anybody else has the right to judge what Andrew Luck thinks is right for his life. And so all of this feedback, especially the boos, it, it shocked me that, that he was booed. Every single person who booed had absolutely no context and no awareness of what he had managed, what he was trying to manage, and the difficulty of getting a body back to being elite. I wrote a piece. Th this instantly made me think of a piece that I wrote several years ago for ESPN.com. And it, the basic premise of the piece was that athletes die twice. And they do. Um, and, and in the piece I wrote, I never fully considered the emotional impact retirement has on professional athletes. That reaction was never rooted in empathy. Sure, you see them cry at the podium. 
and respected that they'd miss that passion. But these were blessed individuals, compensated handsomely for years for literally living the dream. Rich, famous, they achieved both of those things by playing a game. So I was never really apt to feel especially sorry for them when that came to an end. But that all changed for me in the wake of an honest, intense opportunity to glean context from men that I admire tremendously. And those men are my buddy Taylor Zarzer, who is a play-by-play voice for ESPN, college football, college baseball, college basketball, college golf, and runs the entire golf channel at Sirius XM now, as well as John Feinstein, the renowned sports author, who wrote A Season on the Brink and A Civil War, Army versus Navy, etc. And during this interview that Taylor was conducting with John, he broached Junior Seau's tragic suicide and noted the escalating concern in the sports community about traumatic brain injury in football. And Feinstein promptly responded with that poignant train-stopping comment, athletes die twice. And it just stopped time for me. And that is so true. When everything you've ever known, when everything you've ever worked for as an athlete, striving, sacrificing, working, fellowshipping, leading, when that's all you've done for your entire life is over, and it's over in an instant, and it's over reluctantly, a part of you dies, and a significant part of you dies, your identity, because all that you've ever done is strive to be elite in that arena, and when that is what your focus is, it is your identity. You're a quarterback, in Andrew Luck's case, and When those words come out of your mouth, you ain't a quarterback anymore. And for Andrew Luck, when you're not a quarterback anymore, you're not the man that you've always known anymore. And that is universal among these athletes. Andrew Luck got to decide to go out when he wanted to go out. But he didn't want to go out. He couldn't couldn't perform the way that he needed to perform to his own standard. And he was so damn tired of the exhaustive effort to get there. It had stripped his fundamental joy. And all of y'all who booed and all of y'all who questioned it and all of y'all who went on Twitter and and try to compromise this and mock it or make fun of it, you've never done it. I just go back to the fact he played with the lacerated kidney. If I had like a bruised kidney, I'd be in the hospital. He not he was playing in a game and then like the other year, Deshaun Watson had to ride a bus to a game because it wasn't safe for him to fly. Like I think people like the things that these football players do to their bodies is utterly insane. I just don't, maybe I'm wired different to most people. I don't know. It just, I get so tired of, I just get so tired of the, the completely thoughtless responses and no one ever has any sort of empathetic approach to it. I think everybody should have it, but another advantage that we have is we see these athletes when they're not playing and you, especially you to see what they're going through. You know, last year, look at Tua, all the things that he did to get that ankle back so he could play for the team. We see those things that fans don't. And while they they should have some empathy, no matter what, having this knowledge, it makes us understand it even more. Well, I say kudos, man. And I hope that, uh, I, I do think it's interesting too, that the Colts, didn't take back that what was it 24.6 million or yeah, whatever basically it is it's like 25 million 
Yeah, $25 million. I, I felt like that was an amazing thank you for what Andrew Luck had done. And I read a couple pieces where people think it's, it's more a bridge to if he does decide to come back kind of thing. It's a hell of a nice bridge. I'd like to have me a $25 million bridge. Travis, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is their hodgepodge of business systems. They have one system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, on and on. It's just a big inefficient mess, taking up too much time and too many resources, and that hurts the bottom line. Let me discuss NetSuite with you guys. NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and human resources instantly, right from your desktop or your phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide. Seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash marty. That's netsuite.com slash marty. To download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, netsuite.com slash marty. Fun show today. Appreciate you hanging out, Travis. Again, we got a huge week ahead. It is week one of the 2019 college football season. I cannot wait until Thursday when it all gets rolling with Clemson, Georgia Tech in Death Valley and Utah playing BYU. Those stand to be good games. I can't wait. I'm excited. And then get a, we get to see my boy and see what Justin Fields can do. Yeah, I think uh, and they're playing the FAU, right? They're playing Lane Kiffin. Did you they're see playing what, the fighting Kiffins, man? They asked Lane about the benefit of playing a team like Ohio State. Did you see his response? Uh, no, but I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> the money. <laughs> That's my boy. Because they remember they it. opened last year against Kyler Murray in Oklahoma. Now they get Justin Fields in Ohio State. But that, that, paycheck, that paycheck ain't too bad. No, that is very funny. What is it? Probably a mil and a half or something. Probably something like that. That ain't bad. Somebody's got to pay for Lane's uh, salary, right? Someone's got to pay for Thank that you Lane for train. Out, brother. I appreciate it. Thank, uh, thanks so much to Louise for letting us do this each week. Dan Lebetard, Stu, Mike, all the guys down there in the Lebetard and Friends Podcast Network. Make sure y'all check out That's What She Said with Sarah Spain and the Mina Kimes Show with Lenny, both of which are also in the Lebetard and Friends Podcast Network. Really appreciate those guys having us. They're amazing friends. Appreciate our sponsors. Make sure y'all check them out. NetSuite.com slash Marty, ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. That way we can keep this thing free. And all you guys have to pay is zero dollars and zero cents. Thanks so much to our law enforcement officials keeping our community safe. And thank you so much to our members of the United States military domestically and all around this globe working every day, sacrificing to keep us free. We live in the greatest country in the world. Appreciate you guys. It is college football time. It's even cool in Charlotte. It's even, there's even a, a nip in the air, man. It was cool this morning and I'm all messed up with my allergies. It's it, like, I, I'm happy about the little brisk in the air, but man, I'm, I'm messed up right now. I probably sound like it. You sound phenomenal. Appreciate you. All right. We'll try to do better next time. That's Marty Smith's America volume 68. See y'all next week.